At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and welcome to the show, Johnny Vivash. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. What people can't see, and what I can through the power of Zoom, is that uh, Johnny is um, is enshrined in what I think, what I can imagine, and I'm going to paint the picture now, Johnny, if you don't mind. He's, he's in his own little wicker man hut, I just hope there's no sacrificing while we do it. <laughs> no, I'm going to turn the zoom around so you can see what I'm looking out onto as well. Whereabouts are you? So I'm in Devon at the moment on a, on a little break with the family. We've come to talk about five great Irish horror movies. Now, before we do that, let's talk about what you do in the movies. Do you want to tell, do you want to tell the listener what you're all about, Johnny? Yes, indeed. So I am an actor. I've been acting for a good number of years, predominantly doing genre-based shorts and independent features. So that's what I've been doing. Prior to that, I went to art school. I think not everybody has followed that route, but um, ended up being in front of uh, very low-format, high-A cameras, doing performance work, very long and arduous art pieces. So that's probably where the sprig of wanting to uh, become an actor happened, I guess. I did performance artist, uh, performance art rather, when I was in um, a degree in Cork. So, what was your degree show at the end? What did you perform? I was um, uh, I was in the painting faculty, so I had these uh, huge, huge canvases with very, very dark and murky uh, tones and subject matter. Uh, so the, the canvases would be about seven foot by four foot. So very, I guess the influence then would have been like the likes of Ansel and Kiefer and those type of big German neo-expressionist kind of things. So, yeah, I think it's the only time you probably get away with doing stuff like that, because when you get out into the big bad world and you realize how expensive or how expensive it was, I don't know what it might be now to, to rent the studio to try and produce that work. That's just, that didn't exist. It went out the window. Everything had to be reduced, which meant it got reduced into a video camera. So, so acting, acting was your calling. Yes, indeed. Yes. Eventually I got there, which was great. And I think the the moment was through uh, a fantastic uh, video artist called Rune Islam, 
and uh, she wanted to do uh, a, a piece that she was commissioned to do um, was uh, a number of excerpts from Sam Shepard's Fool for Love. So we were able to shoot that down at the Royal Court on a stage uh, on a Sunday. So we did all of that. Now, there was nobody there. The stalls were empty, but we managed to shoot in there for the full day, which was brilliant. So that was kind of the moment where I went, oh, I like this. This is good. Yeah, I get my jollies now, you know. So it took a while to shrug off the art, but um, I kind of kept a hand in that. And I worked, I've worked with a guy called Daniel Mellers, and he's done a series of um, films. Uh, uh, the series is called Our House. And there's a lot of people involved in that from Gwendolyn Christie to another actor called Paddy Kennedy. So it's, it tells the story of a very dysfunctional family who live in this ever-expanding mansion. And uh, a, a person called The Object comes along and he starts to devour the uh, library. And he might eat a, a book on Lady Diana and the, the proletariat in Manchester. And that begins to affect a certain member of the household in that way. So it's a combined effect. So, so it's, yeah, it's, it, a lot of these films are, are on YouTube, are, sorry, on Vimeo, so you can track them down. So um, I play the groundskeeper, Bobby Jobby, who's not affected by this, who's trying to warn the household of what's going on. I've covered a couple of feature films you're in, aren't, haven't I? Um, Lilo with uh, Jamie Noel. That's right, yes. Lilo, uh, Jamie Noel, um, Charismata. Have you covered? Did you cover that one as well? With... Yes, I have. Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. yeah did, so yeah, I was yeah, in that, that one. one. And you, uh, you, I think you were chatting to the guys, uh, Dominic and uh, Evo from Death December as well. So I'm in one of those segments. I'm in the Cracker segment. So that's uh, directed by John Lynch. And I'd worked with him before on a short called Eddie, which we did very well with. And I got into a lot of festivals and it's, I think we're knocking on the door now of a million views or just beyond that. So, and that's, that's not like it, that wasn't posted last week. It's, it's a culmination of, you know, it was on altar. What's the, my, my memory's gone blank, Johnny. What's the, what was the found footage one that you were in? On the, well, the kind of, the one on set on the estate up in the north. Uh, yes, you had Darren, Darren Bolton on, of course, that small town hero which was originally called Vigilante and then it got rebranded and put out there. Yeah, small town here. That, that's what, yeah, Daz, as I call him affectionately, yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was great fun making that with Simon uh, Cassidy, who's the lead. Yeah, no, you, you caught my eye on that one. You were, uh, you were scarily convincing. Well, I'd worked with Darren before on a lot of theatre projects because when I finished up drama school, I did a fair amount of Fringe in London and a decent amount of regional theatre before I kind of stepped into um, being involved in films and doing short films and indies, you know, just, it was hard to kind of continually sustain touring all the time, because if you're away from London, you, you still have to pay London rent. How, how do you feel that that, that that kind of, that kind of circuit prepared you for acting in front of camera? Well, it all, it, 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 weirdly, I think the fine arts background in, informed a lot more of the choices in terms of, you know, at, at the, the theatre thing allowed for the stamina that you, you need when you're shooting, particularly if you're on a, a longer shoot, you know, if you're shooting for three weeks or whatever. Tell me what you mean by choices then. What, what, what do you mean by choices? What, what, what did art school inform in terms of choices? In terms of, um, 
Well, the choice is in terms of like if if I'm if I was creating an installation and I'm seeing the whole whole dynamic space and I'm knowing how the space is operating and and why objects might be placed in that particular space for whatever reasons. So I suppose I was bringing that type of language with me into the acting as well. That that it, another actor might necessarily have a, a, an art school training or an appreciation of looking at objects in a different way or looking at pictures in a in a slightly different oh, way. So, so you're saying like you you kind of you what, like when a director's blocking a scene, you're you're seeing the space from a point of view as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that what was always there, and I, that's something I don't think I could have. I, I, if I didn't go to art school, I wouldn't have had that. And I doubt, you know, a lot of actors may, some probably do, maybe, you know, but I don't want to say, no, I'm the only one with this special gift, the special power. No, let's <laughs> claim it. You're the first one to talk to me, so I'll, yeah. I'll believe it. <laughs> so what have, we got, what have we got coming up then on the horizon? Any new projects you're in or any new projects that people can see? So I'm, uh, well, we started shooting this thing just before lockdown called um Isaac so we got we we essentially did all the intensive dialogue uh uh week uh, just outside London along the Welsh border um and then suddenly I, w- I was off uh in the US for for work work and then that was it lockdown happened so we had to wait three months to go and do the last few pickup scenes that we needed back in London so that's all finished now um so I'm looking forward to that. So, so the guys are pretty much done with the edit because they have three mon- months to edit what they had, which is a gift in a way because when you when you finish a piece, you're kind of you're under the cost really to get the edit done and, and get it into the festival circuit as quick as possible. Um, but that that was brilliant, and that's a sci-fi about um, uh, genetic engineering in relation to um, a, a child being genetically engineered for a couple. Um, and the ramifications of if that doesn't work out. Um, but brilliantly, we had a fantastic actress uh, called Katrina McCall, who did a lot of um, uh, Italian horror films. She's from the UK, but she lives in France now. So it was amazing to work with her and hear all her stories. I was going to say, did she regale, can, any stories you can regale us with that she regaled you? Well, it's just been like, it's, it's those amazing days. Uh, you and particularly with older actors that I really love in terms of so I I was um I met the director in London and we had a fantastic meeting and then they flew me to Italy to do these scenes to do test footage and then I was put up but they wanted me to hold on so they paid me to stay there for three weeks Oh, you poor bugger. Oh, it's terrible. What a horrendous life. And then we did a few more scenes. And then I went back to London, heard nothing about it. And then I got the part. You know, that just does not happen anymore, really, you know. So there was a bit of that. And then in terms of her, I think her surprise when she found out that uh, the, the horrors that she'd been in, involved in had got such a fan base and how that not rekindled her career because she's a job and actress and she's very talented. But it was a whole circuit that she was suddenly exposed to. And then she was on the, the horror circuit, you know, doing Q&As and doing um, the Comic-Cons and whatnot. So, yeah, it was brilliant meeting her. Well, look, let's uh, move swiftly along to uh, your your five great Irish horror movies. Now, before we start, I'll just for the benefit of those that have not heard this before, the format is simple. 
He's got five films. We're going to do them in reverse date order, oldest to newest. I will announce them. So, Johnny, you don't have to remember what year they came out. Don't worry. And we'll be doing it against the clock, and it's five minutes per film. And when um, when Pig barks, we will move on to the next film. Don't worry, Johnny. Follow my lead, and everything will be okay. You talk with great enthusiasm about the films you've chosen, then I'll be okay. And then we'll make then we'll have made a podcast. How does that sound? Perfect. I'll run with that. That sounds great. Okay, then. Well, choice number one is 2012's Grabbers. Uh, what is that thing? I haven't a clue. I've never seen anything like it before. It's a completely foreign species. I can't even begin to originate or class it. A grabber. Who attacked you? Stuck on the ceiling, it was. Nearly ripped me throat out. It's dead, right? Um, I'm not sure. You're not what? Basic tests I've done so far have shown up nothing usual or normal. It is beyond mystifying. I mean, really, I can't be sure without opening it up. Said. Would you stop doing that? Is it any wonder it bit you? What's that in its mouth? That is its tongue. Well, Grabbers, um, I suppose I should just give a context to this, um, or else, or else I'm going to get into a lot of a lot of trouble. My wonderful lady, who is the um, who brought my child into the world, Emily. This is actually the first movie that we ever watched together. And I was appalled. No! Yes, yeah. This is absolutely the first movie we ever watched together. And I was appalled and slightly embarrassed because being a horror fan, I it, for some reason, I, it, didn't, it didn't blip on my register. And it was a bit embarrassing because I was talking, waxing lyrical about, you know, horror this, you know, genre that. So it, that, it's, that's the kind of the deep connection, let's say, I have with this film. So that's, that's the uh, anecdote in terms of why this, mo- this movie, other than... That's have, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So where did, where, did you, where, where did the pair of you see it? Where were well, you listen, watching? This is hilarious because we didn't watch it in the cinema or anything like that. We just, it was, a, it was a, a, I think, Virgin Media, if I'm allowed to use a, a, a name drop like that. Uh, we just rented it. And uh, it was just, you know, there was a couple of glasses of Prosecco consumed watching it, you know. But it's it's great. It's a brilliant uh, monster romp in the true sense of a monster movie. And it's got everything in it from romance. There's a romantic scenario going in. Um, the effects are brilliant by um, Paddy Eason, who, um, who was the supervisor on it. And, you know, uh, from, there's not many monster movies from home, you know, uh, the one that people tend to refer to is um, Rawhead Rex and um, by Clive Barker. He wrote the script for it, but that was made in the mid 80s. And I rewatched it out of curiosity because I was thinking, oh, well, I put Rawhead Rex on. It's a monster movie. And I watched that and I said, I can't put that on. It's just it's just horrendous. It's terrible. And it completely misses the point of of the short story from from where the script was drawn from. Because it's meant, you know, the Rawhead Rex is meant to be this nine-foot-tall phallus with, with, with teeth. And the, the monster that um, the director 
uh, I, it's an, uh, I can't remember the name of the George Pavlov I think is is the name of the director it's just horrendous it's just a very bad mask on a big guy in kind of lots of leather buckles and misses the whole point of the short story so I couldn't do that but anyway back to Grabbers who chose it you or her um, she did <laughs> I didn't choose it I was going to go French New Wave and, and, and Emily said what about this this looks great and then I kind of came and said, yeah, I'll watch this. This looks well, good so fun. This, so this is, if this is the first film you watched together, did she know you were a genre note at this point? Or, I, I kind of hinted at it, that, you know, I'm an actor and I da-da-da-da-da, and I, you know, I like horror films, you know. The early days of romance, you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of them from 97, now I think back. <laughs> I know, feels like a, a distant country these days. No, no, that'd be terrible. I'd be killed for saying that. Um, so we watched that and it, it's brilliant that this alien lands just off the coast of a fictional uh, like an Aran Island kind of fictional uh, Aran Island and it comes on shore but the what's hilarious about it is without it being um, uh, un- patronising uh, the the locals all have to, to stay incredibly inebriated for the monster not to eat them so the the monster, um, this te- amazing tentacle beast, reacts really badly to alcohol. In particular, Pauline, he spits out one of the uh, one of the um, uh, the uh, trawler guys and doesn't eat him. So they kind of figure this out. So it all culminates in uh, a lot of this the spawn heading to the only pub on the island, and the head police officer has got the whole village in, in essentially a lock in. And it's this massive binge to just to keep them alive. Like the taps are running dry and they're drinking everything. And eventually the monster arrives and starts attacking the, the pub. So they have to decoy down to, they, they spring this idea about why don't we just dry it out and then put it on fire. But it's, it's actually hilarious. The gags escalate in, 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 in humour, basically, because sometimes it's my people. And it's, hard, it's a hard thing to do, a comedy horror. It's it's a, a comedy is the most difficult thing, and then if you want to add in the genre of horror and pull it off, it's there we go. Oh, it's a difficult thing to do. So big, fine. <laughs> so that's that's first <laughs> for me, and I absolutely adore for those. And it had you know fantastic actors in it as well, one of which pops Indeed. up in another choice as well. So yeah. Okay. Well, look, we're going to move swiftly on. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to 2016's A Dark Song. You know what I mean, what? You started then, purifying yourself. Yes. Let's hear it. I've followed the diet. I've had no alcohol for 22 weeks. I've abstained from sex. All sex. Masturbation as well. All sex. It gets tricky after a month, doesn't it? And the diet? The last 27 days, I've only eaten between dusk and dawn. For the next three days, I'll fast completely. Are you Protestant or Catholic? I'm Catholic. So Dark Song is... um, I absolutely... This is a very... This is an amazing movie. And it, the fact that essentially it's um, it's a two-hander. Uh, and for both actors to put in the performance that 
they did. It's just that's I've I've kind of gone back and I've watched this film a few times for for the level of detail that that's in this independent film, which is surprising. And it's it, it, the level of detail even to when Steve Oram character is building the architecture of how um, Catherine's character will travel until she gets to the point of where she can make her request or who she might summon. The premise is that she wants to summon um, uh, an angel and, and ask the angel something. And she lies at the start, which ultimately affects the architecture of what they're doing to try and get to this point. And that, uh, that allows a lot of uh, evil forces then within the house because they seal themselves off from the house. And I, I quite like the fact that Steve Oram's character talks about being unshackled from the world. So they're almost fly, floating in this horrendous void. Um, and it's just the two of them in this house for months on end, repeating all the Gnostic or the Kabbalah mantras and his, his kind of voodoo that he's accumulated over uh, the, the Oram character that he's accumulated after. Do you think Steve Oram's character expected it to happen? or hoped it would happen. See, this is interesting, and it, it, this is kind of bore out looking at some of the interviews as well. And I really liked the way Liam Gavin set him up as this... Um, uh, he's, he's, he's almost from the estate, do you know what I mean? Because there's like, oh, I, I'm dying to get back home and get some fish and chips. I don't want to be here. And he's not like what you would... You might, under, what, might think somebody who will... Be here to summon all of this, you know. This he's not a Tweedy academic, is he? He's, he's not, not like, a Tweedy he's academic, you know. And he, he he comes from a very different world. And the, uh, he's he's a council estate shaman who's just you, you you feel like he's just happened into this. And that's an interesting scenario in itself. How did he happen into that? What happened in his existence? But he says in the movie, "Look, look, I'm being upfront about this. This it didn't work twice." but it, it worked once. I've done it three times. Twice it didn't work. Once it worked. And he's flawed because he's an alcohol. He's a recovering alcoholic who's got DTs at the start of the movie. So, um, and of course, Catherine's character is flawed as well because she has essentially lied to get him to come and do this because she says, I want to hear my son's voice again, but it's not that. And that alters everything in the house. It's about wanting... She wants revenge, so it's a very dark and sinister presence that enters the house. And because of this, her her need. But ultimately, it's um, you know, it's a the movie itself is a journey of letting go. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a dynamic piece of independent cinema, I think, and it's it's one that kind of wowed me, um, just for the script quality and you know how they engage each other and the dialogue that's selected and. That's, uh, you know, it's it's codependency that, like, uh, as an actor, you kind of dream of these parts landing on the desk or in the email box. You know, if if, if, if it came in from the agent, do you, do you want to read for this? You, you, you'd kind of give you a leg and an arm to read for that type of character. Why is the two-hander so appealing to an actor? Other than the fact you're on screen all the time. I mean, obviously... Yeah, kind of a... <laughs> which is, which is, <laughs> which is a nice thing to do. Um it's. I think that you're so invested in the character and you're so deeply connected with the other actor. And that's, I think you always strive for that. And you get that on stage, I think. 
it's not that you don't get it on set. It's a very quick turnaround on certain scenes and you kind of know when you've got a bit of gold in the scene and you know, right, we can that's bankable. We can move on. Set up is moving on, whatever. But the two-hander, it's it's more of feels like more of a, your your stage time, and you you have that journey, and you know you're plotting. And Liam, in some of the interviews, he talked about the detail that went into the preparation of getting the script to the point of he, where all the beats were in perfect were in the perfect place. Or and it's interesting order. you talked about with Grabbers. You talked about um, how how difficult it is to pull off sort of horror comedy, whereas Liam chose a comedy. Shut up, pig. Liam Liam chose a uh, a comedy actor to play a very very dark, doom li- li- doom ridden role. I know this is this was amazing, and I think if if you've been on the comedy circuit and you've got that, you, you'd really love to do it definitely because you know it's, not all comedy actors are just comedy actors. You know, there's a deeper pathos probably going on there. I've one really quick anecdote. I know we've got the dog back. This is terrible. So. Catherine, who plays the female lead in it, along Catherine Walker. Catherine Walker, that's it. Sorry, I forgot her surname. Um, and I hope I bump into her some way that our, our paths cross. She was on, she, her first short movie was a movie called Skates. And at the time, I worked on Skates because the girl who directed Skates was my then girlfriend who went to the Leary Film School. So, so this went, and I'd seen Catherine and a few other things, and it was only I thought we're halfway through the movie, and then I just had this, oh my God, that's Catherine from Skates. I had this epiphany, and I couldn't believe it. So then I went back, and she's brilliant, fantastic actress, just brilliant. Both of them are amazing in it, yeah. Highly, highly recommend it. Well, in a way, in a way, your next choice is almost sort of delving into the mythos that maybe uh, Steve Oram was tapping into in the house in Contemporary. So we've got the sort of period World War One, The Lodgers from 2017, Brown O'Malley's film. Let me pass. You've hurt yourself. This is a film that's sort of loaded, isn't it, with um, with with metaphor and, and and gothic drama. Yeah, and there's a huge amount of of that going on, and and it's not like I, I think you know you kind of when Brian's movie came out, there was a lot of people going, "Well, hold on, this, is this a horror movie?" And it's not a horror movie; it's a gothic film. It's a gothic story, and with that, ev- everything is in there from the death and the decay of the house and it's Loftus Hall which which is a very dark and sinister place uh, at home it's it's meant to be the most you've heard you hear it all the time at home the most haunted place in Ireland you know but it's it's got all of those amazing gothic story elements from the, the family curse to the madness and and this all consuming just but very deeply uncomfortable powerful love and particularly with uh, Edward's character and it's quite disturbing because 
Edward's character is very much leaning towards this incestuous thing um, to stay within the world that's being created in that house where they where it's presumed that they cannot escape from it. Um, and then the uh, the Rachel character played by Charlotte Vega, is it? Is Charlotte Vega? Yeah, yeah, Charlotte Vega, yeah, yeah. And she's, she's pulling towards this independence and she can't wait to get away from the house, which is in terms of when you see the backdrop of the film, it's post-World War uh, One. it's Ireland, um, the 1916 rising has happened. It's the fallout of all of that. The country is in turmoil because it's heading towards a civil war. Um, and anybody who, because who, it was still part of the, uh, the British government, so anybody who went to, off to fight, let's say, and if they were coming home, they were treated horrendously, you know, um, if they fought on the side. I must side. admit, in terms of, in terms of giving the, how much of the story is about the, the, the hot, what, what, hot, what, what occupies the house, I thought that the, the film treated that whole like because you're, you're pre northern ireland aren't you this is the ireland is a colony of britain it's, it's yeah essentially yes britain, yeah uh, rule mm-hmm. britannia isn't it you know it's like and he captures that brilliantly in the that kind of obviously like you say it's after the 1916 easter uprising and so it's like there is a there is going to be independence what is it about four years after the the films when the film's set? yeah it's it after that what, what gets what gets ushered in now i, I should really know my, my Irish history, a lot more coming from that. But the, the 16 rising was brutally suppressed. So the anger that was in the country as well after that happened. Um, but then it, it, it swung in another way in terms of the, the ringleaders of, of the rising and how they were uh, dealt with in terms of a lot of them were assassinated or killed in prison. So public opinion swung back then in the country towards uh, wanting independence. Um, from and it was I think it's 1922 that the Northern Ireland Boundary Commission was set up. So in and around that time, Ireland then was heading towards independence or got independence. You know, obviously as a as a, as a Brit who doesn't get taught any of this, it's 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 really informative to see that just part of the story landscape is this is what a, an island that's changing against obviously the changing of these these young people wanting to go and live their lives and obviously the ghost of the house. The ghost of the house doesn't want to let them. Yeah, and Brian captures that brilliantly. And it's it, it's the shackles of history that's holding them back as well. And then wanting them to, particularly uh, Rachel's get to liberate herself from the confines of the house. But Edward wanting to... And it's it's quite a sinister tale. And I think a lot of Gothic uh, tales are to repro... Uh, to, you know, to replace the next generation because it would be only those two to replace the next generation in the house before they would have to create, uh, uh, continue the circle and, and, and go to the lake and do what they have to do to continue on the curse. Um, but the effects in there are fantastic. I think the pacing is amazing in it. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. And the score is incredible as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fave piece of mine. And Brian is, is an old friend of mine, so... A long, long time ago. I think I have an anecdote for every for every film here. <laughs> so me and Brian in in Brian went to art school with me. We went to art school in Dublin, and then a few years later, we were working for uh, an artist out in uh, Sandy Mount, which is just outside Dublin. But we shared a flat uh, many, many years ago, and um, even when Brian was in uh, secondary, oh, 
not second, uh, in art school. He was heavily leaning towards making films, doing sci-fi, certainly genre-orientated work. So, yeah, Brian is great. A lot of time for Brian. I love his, I loved the first his first feature film, Let Us Pray, uh, which which is just brilliant. It's a bloodbath, but it's fantastic. Bad, and I've always called it bad news comes to town and just does a number. Yeah, it's like it's like a horror western, isn't it? Really, in a way, the kind it's brilliant. Of- it is amazing, and yeah, I've I've rewatched that again. It's very weird when you're prepping for the for the podcast. You kind of go. You disappear down the rabbit hole of going, oh, I want to watch that now. What if I watch that and then come back to it? <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So that was Lodger's amazing, beautiful work. Well, look, we'll jump, we'll jump a year ahead to one of my uh, one of my highlights of 2018's Fright Fest. Um, Ashley Clark's Devil's Doorway. Prepare yourself, Father. Good God. What is this? She's a danger to herself and others. She's no more than a child. She's hardly a child anymore. She's lain with a man. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Brilliant, brilliant work. I'm... The fan footage thing... I'm not that I'm not a fan of it, you know, that it just there was a, a large sway of that after Blair Witch. So and I, I suppose I never really got into the fan footage thing. But when this came along and I remember some of the trailers dropping for it and um I was intrigued by it because the resonance of the subject matter is massive at home. I think it's one of the darkest uh secrets that the state has at home you know and they are still trying to clear it up and still trying to address the the, the horrendousness that was left in its wake from the magdalene laundries and all of those girls on well, if, i mean homes. if you think about the way if you think about the way belief even functions and the importance placed on the soul the idea that you just got rid of a load of babies i know is- it's like just where did, their, where did their souls go in that belief system like, yeah exactly exactly for all the for all the pious that you would find, you know, and you know, in, 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 we're talking about like into the, you know, the 1950s. So it's politics and religion yeah, we, yeah, are, are super should, close yeah, at, at that time in Ireland. You know, dare I say, yeah, would, yeah, yeah. could you refer to it as a almost like a Catholic fundamentalist state because politics and religion were so close? It was coming off mm. the altar at, at mass. Yeah, because Devil's Doorway is what early is Devil's Doorway. Well, it's early set 60s, in the 60s. It? It's set in the 60s, and. Um, it, and it's beautiful because it's got that the whole ambience of it. You've got this incredible continuous whir of the an old 1960s Bolex going, and it's shot in that frame as well. And I kind of instantly love that straight away. And it, and you know, it, you know, there's a, a letter arrives. Um, Lawler uh, Roddy's character, who's brilliant, who was actually in in Grabbers. I think he's an amazing actor. So he plays Father Thomas O'Reilly. And it's, you know, Thomas is, he is full of doubt. The doubt in Thomas is, it's is classic, isn't it? It is. There's a lot of religious referencing there and very clever on Ashley's part as well. Brilliant script, brilliant writer, great, um, great piece. But um, so he arrives to investigate all of this stuff. Um, and he's incredibly, he just thinks, here we go. It's another, my faith is being 
it's, it's, I'm losing my faith very, very quickly. But things start to unravel very, very quickly within the home itself in terms of what he's exposed to there. And I think what my uh, takeaway from that is that the horrendousness that happened to all of those women and children and babies in there in a place that was, the, you can say, the evil that perpetrated on them and against them in a place that was meant to be in an, a, a place of safety and shelter. Is it any wonder that something as evil as what's portrayed in the movie should and did and does did exist in the in the realm of that movie? So that's my kind of takeaway. And it's it's the more you read into it, and of course, you, as I was saying, you go down the the rabbit hole. You, I, there's a lot of reports you can go through online, and you're reading just it's it, it beggars belief. Even the the idea of a family dropping their 17-year-old off at the doors of one of these laundries and driving away. And some of them were institutionalized all their life and with no contact and died in there, as we have seen in terms of what happened quite recently in terms of the um, the mass grave that was found in Tume with all the... Uh, when the... you when, I mean, obviously, I'm not dating you in the 60s, mm-hmm. but when you, when you were growing up, how how much was this part of the social fabric that people kind of knew, didn't know, suspected? Well, I, I think a lot of it was hushed, but there was also a lot of, uh, oh, you, you know, it was uh, they, she would have been sent, she might have been sent off to the home, you know, that kind of thing. People were referred to in, in, in that way. And I think the last one closed in the mid-90s. I don't think there was any opened after that. But there was, it wasn't talked about quite freely because... It's the state were linked with so much that you could argue there was a lot of, on one level possible, it was state-sanctioned murder, essentially, what was going on because, you know, there was, in terms of keeping records of who deceased there, a lot of, a lot of those records weren't kept or they were destroyed as well. Um, so, but um, the film itself was brilliant. Um, and the mother, uh, the mother superior uh, character is a wonderful actress called Helena Breen, and I had a chance. Is the anecdote? I had a chance to work with her quite recently. I did a play over in the. Um, there's the doggy. Almost, almost nearly in there. Um, a play over in the Finborough uh, called uh, On McQuillan's Hill, and I had no idea she was cast in in this play. And she walked in, and I kind of had this almost like a fanboy moment, and I was waiting for the first coffee break of the first day of rehearsals to go over to her. And I said, you're in Devil's Door, aren't you? You played the Mother Superior. So we got on like a house of fire. She's brilliant. She's great fun. It was a great play. We were blessed with a great cast. And yeah, it was it was a lovely run just before it all went south with COVID. So yeah. But incidentally, there's a, there's if you go on to the IFI player, there's the only bit of footage from the Magdalene Laundries is from a guy called Father... Uh, it's called the Father Delaney or Delancey collection. And there's one section where he is in one of the laundries and it it, it paints a very different picture because that's probably the only bit of excitement the girls had, you know, a guy walking around with a camera and they all look really happy. They all look really delighted with themselves that there's something different going on. But the reality was very much different. So it's it's worth having a look at those old... um, old uh, uh, film reels so that was several stories brilliant work from Ashley Clark amazing 
So your final choice brings us all the way up to 2019 with Lee Cronin's uh, Hole in the Ground, which is a fantastic movie. Oh, it's brilliant. Stuart Macken says our Jeep looks like something a feeder fall would drive. Who's Stuart Macken? In my class. Is he your friend? He's an ass face. Hey. Can I say anus face? No. But it's a science word. Mom, look out! <laughs> And I arrived at this movie after seeing Lee's uh, first. Uh, um, I think it's maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong there, but, but when I came across his work, he made a, a movie called uh, um, Ghost Train, and it it was brilliant. And after I watched it, I had I just had to get in contact. And brilliantly, Lee got back to me and just back and forth on Twitter, you know, saying how how much I enjoyed the work and that. So I was very keen to see what would happen next with his first feature and if 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 you can think back the the opening sequence where um no the name of the lead actress is just gone from my head which is very annoying here so she's with she's with the little guy who's again it's a kind of a two-hander um is that is that curse lake yes yeah that's the one um and they're walking away from an amusement park and there's a shot where there's a ghost train behind them as they're walking away. They've just come from the Hall of Mirrors and there's a ghost train uh, just behind them. So I think that was a nice little clever because I think they did quite well with Ghost Train. He got into a lot of festivals and kudos from because it's, it's a great short. If anybody hasn't seen it, go and see it. It's brilliant. But this, the, the film itself is fantastic. There's, um, it's a, what's in, insinuated in the film is that uh, the, the mom and her young son has moved to this small Irish town to get away from maybe a, a broken or a fractured relationship. So it's just her and, and the little guy in this very empty and uncomfortable uh, old house. So one night he disappears from the house and she goes out looking for him and she finds the sinkhole um, and the, he reappears later on. That she and, finds it is a fucking, and it is a yeah. fucking sinkhole, isn't it? It's freaking huge. It's massive. It's ma- in the middle of this wood. Um, so the next day, something appears to be quite off with the little guy, and it's it appears that he's not himself. And I this is this is where I think Lee does this beautiful work with the tension builds really slowly, in terms of that continual questioning who who is my and it's the worst situation that you might find yourself into. Like if your child is just suddenly changed. now, they can be nightmares. Don't get me wrong. I feel like my one came out come out the hole and in the walls, hole in the ground some mornings as well. <laughs> the meltdowns that you can experience. But this 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 is is amazing in terms of um what what uh, the the younger actor, the the this is terrible, I should know his name, I can't remember. Um he he plays this beautifully, this slightly left of center, removed from the reality of what their original relationship is like, and it builds and builds and builds. But it builds. It, it's it's taken from uh, the idea of a changeling, which I think Lee is borrowed from a couple of things. as another Irish myth called the Puka, who's a shapeshifter, and that's kind of insinuated insinuated with the um, 
uh, the the mirror when you actually get to see what the real form of the creature is, and you get to she discovers that by accident at at a at a funeral when the old lady who's clearly suffering from uh, dementia um, sees what the boy is in her in her um, uh, diminished neurodivergent state. Um, so it's it's the mother's relationship with with her son, who's not her son. Um, and I just loved it. I, th- I thought it was brilliant, you know, just this, the subtlety and restraint in the acting didn't detract from the tension that was going on within the film itself. And it culminates in this great payoff where, and it's brilliant, and I don't know how he came up with this, with burying the, the, the creature who has taken over the son is, is burying, burying the, the head of his mother in, in, the, in the ground to kill her. Nothing else, just the head. But uh, when she goes off on her quest to get her son back, she goes into the sinkhole. And I think that is probably one of the t- most terrifying bits of the film, where she's crawling around and she, she discovers the other, the, the skull of the other young boy who went missing, and she finds her son in there being kept. There's a lot about it, which is sort of the... Um, about na- Obviously, that nature's a huge, a huge metaphor in the background of it, and... Because in a way, is if she's running away from something, then is that is she, we're we're led to believe that's from a point of innocence. But obviously, to be punished in a horror film, there has to be some sin from somebody for them to be punished. So, is it just being a bad parent? Obviously, letting the kid go out at night is that is that what the film is sort of using as a as a measure of good or bad? Like that idea of. Or is it about a parent's worst nightmare? I mean, you you as a parent. I think it's a I think it's about a parent's worst nightmare, and it's it's the uh, I've often described this uh, to friends. It's like the app you can't get rid of once your first one comes along. The anxiety and fear and fantasy plays a horrendous notion because if you can imagine the most horrendous thing that will happen to your child crossing the road a thousand times over, that's why you you hold on to them and imbue, you know, road safety as much. But it'll go from anything within the home. There's, it'll be danger everywhere. And I'm not, it's parenting, parenting anxieties, I think, I think taken to the full hilt within this movie in a way, I guess. But in, in terms of in, in the sin, I think it's, it's, it's that constant fear and, and worry of, you know, am I doing enough fear? And that comes across in the film as well. You know what am I doing? Am I doing this right? Can can I do it any better? You know, who who is this person here? What will they be? What will they become? You know, there's all of that wound into it. Is that saying that part of it is that you you as a parent, mm-hmm. the horror is saying you as a parent have to let go and let them be themselves, even if you don't like what they are. Oh, ultimately, definitely, yeah, because they're not property that you don't own them, and they you know they. They let you know that from a, from six onwards, I think, you know. Nature is an absolute bastard, isn't it? Oh, you know, that's, you if know. If you step it's... back from it, if you step back from nature, you go, oh, it's lovely and pretty. No, nature is relentless and just wants to keep going. And if you're in the way, it, it will run over you. It will steam, steamroll over you. And if you're lucky, somebody will get a stop motion, capture you in, in decaying full of maggots like the, like the fox stock footage disappearing into the soil but yeah so it's it's i think it's that definitely but it's brilliant and i you know there's another movie that kind of uses that and i don't want to compare and contrast because i think a hole in the ground is amazing but you might have seen the hollow by corin hardy 
it's got creatures like that who are changelings who take babies or take children away. That story in that story in folklore is across the world. The idea of swapping babies out for to get your being into the world and to take you know you're taking back or is it nature taking back or is it is it the changeling infiltrating our world? It's there's two ways of because I'm get I mean I did, I read a load of stuff on Norwegian on the Norwegian equivalent and. It, a lot of it was just how do we describe death? So if a baby dies and a, and a sibling says, "Where's my baby sister gone?" They'll go, "Oh, the hidden folk took them." Yes, yeah, and that was a, that was to cover it all, you know, and not engage. <laughs> yeah, we're not I'm... talking about death. We're not we're not grieving. We're getting on with life because we've got to grow them veg and we've got cattle to rear, or else we die. Yes, no, she's in the veg patch. That's where your sister is. Thank you very much for sharing your five films. We're going to run through them in debt as we did them. So we did we did Grabbers from 2012. We did a dark song from 2016. We did The Lodgers from 2017. We did Devil's Doorway from 2018. And we've just closed on 2019's A Hole in the Ground. Um a fantastic selection of horror films. Thank and, you, kind sir. And a great advert for Irish filmmaking. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Stuart. Brilliant being on. Indeed. I hope you tune into your own podcast. <laughs> I will do. I know my partner, Emily, is going to be dying to listen to it. And she said, you better have mentioned Grabbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the podcast. Brilliant stuff. Thank you. It's a joy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.